0: Log Talk Radio
1: To another edition of Troy Nunes is an absolute podcast. I'm your host as always John Casillo and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello everyone. Happy uh, summer. Happy summer indeed. We're calling this the uh, start of the offseason podcast. So a little bit of uh, the usual topics that are going to go on here. We're going to throw some shade at some other schools. Might throw some shade at ourselves. Um, and maybe some publications as well. Yeah, should be eventful. We're just not going to make any friends. Nope. That's, uh, it's kind of our MO. Make as few friends as possible. That's how I started blogging about Syracuse. And God damn it, that's how I'm going to stop blogging about Syracuse. Uh, yeah, we jump into uh, recruiting stuff. I wouldn't say there's like a ton of recurring news lately. I think it's actually scaring a lot of people. Uh, how little is going on on that front? Yeah, might as well jump into some of the news from the last couple days. Um, starting with the bad, and then we can uh, we can end with the good. Um, Sawyer Smith, uh, target from Florida, uh, did not pick Syracuse uh, this week. He actually picked UCS, um, and kind of as a as was pointed out by uh, Stephen Bailey over at Syracuse.com, kind of becomes the latest in a long list of recruits uh, at the quarterback position in particular this cycle uh, to not pick at you. Uh, some of them were expected, uh, you know, guys like Dwayne Haskins, um, you know, guys like Jake Zambique, guys like Jarrett uh, Guarantano that went to Tennessee. Um, those guys we expected to lose out on, maybe not so much on guys like Jamie Newman uh, that went to Wake Forest, um, Anthony Brown who went to BC and now uh, the latest is uh, Sawyer Smith. So, Dan, do you think this is kind of symptomatic of some issues with SU? Is this just the luck of the draw? Um, obviously these are just variables and we're still a long way away from uh, final decisions, but um, does SU kind of have a problem with getting top uh, top recruits at the quarterback position right now?
2: Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't go that far. I actually think that quarterbacks have played that at least on paper, see he's done okay with. It's just a matter of getting one that fits the system and you've had the coaching turnover, which is hurt. But um, with this, this season this year, I think there's a real trend in players not doubling up um, at the same school as other top quarterbacks. Uh, yesterday, the Elite 11 announced their 37 semifinalists and 26 were committed to schools. Actually, now 27, one of more committed today. And none of them, there are no school that has two Elite 11 semifinalists. And there are a lot of like yeah, Anthony Brown, who I think was the biggest miss for us. I think we were the one that was the one everyone thought we were really close on. Went to BC. Um, she went to Wake Forest, which you mentioned is also in that group. So I think that uh, players are just becoming more savvy about um, going to the right school, uh, trying to avoid competition, um, and in the same, it's probably symptomatic of why we see a lot of uh, a lot more transfers now too. So. I think, um, especially the quarterback position, people are trying to line themselves up to the start, uh, and they don't seem to be so willing to jump into a situation where there are two or three other guys in the position, um, which might be okay for XU. Uh, the problem is you know, you need to get a bunch of guys on campus to find one that works, but at the same time, that might allow Syracuse to get a guy that they might not have otherwise had a chance with because other spots have filled up.
1: No, that totally makes sense. And you know what? A- again... I mean, obviously, the recruiting game has changed a lot. Um, it's going to continue to change. Uh, I think these variables are starting to lose a little bit more um, for the top guys. You know, Bud Elliott posted an article, uh, I think, it was three months ago um, on SB Nation um, where it was something like, I want to say, it was like 80% or something of blue chips that already committed. Um, I mean, he didn't really try to pontificate too much on where those guys would end up ultimately the landing. But uh, again, I, I think, and we had this conversation kind of on Slack the other day, um, our internal chat room here, Steph. Um, you know, basketball will always be different because of the limited number of slots, because of the done potential. But football is, at least for the top players, starting to move slightly in that direction, I think, in the last couple of years now. Yeah, I think there, I mean, there are more
2: seven-on-seven seven camps. There are more outside people becoming part of the process, which isn't always great, but I think it's definitely becoming a little more like basketball. Obviously, it's never gonna be the same because you're dealing with classes of 25, 30 kids versus classes of oftentimes one or two. But um, it's definitely the process getting uh, started earlier for sure. Like now you have sophomores, freshmen. I mean, there have been middle schoolers identified by the recruiting services, which is very strange, Um, but it is where we are now. So unfortunately, you know, we might not always be fans of things, but you kind of have to go with the times uh,
1: and not fall behind, unless you're like Alabama and just do whatever you want. Agreed. Um, so I guess wrapping up with Sir Smith, and we have a lot of guys to kind of talk about. Um, do you think Smith stays with UCF, or or do you? Th- I mean, again, I want to play critical ball here, but uh, do you think Smith is likely to stay with UCF, or do you think he ends up getting? Uh, some additional interest from bigger programs and ends and up there um, instead? I don't know much about
2: him. He wasn't a guy that was I knew of him, but there was never a guy that I thought thought that we were really in on. It. Like I said before, Anthony Brown was really the quarterback, uh, and, and then David Morkit from SMU, really the two that we seemed to uh, really have a good shot with. I know more, obviously there was nothing final until February, but more seems like maybe he'll listen a bit. Uh, Brown seems to have locked it down a little bit, but like Hastings and a couple of the other bigger guys were always kind of my dreams. Um, and I didn't know much, too much about the Smith kid. So it's hard for me to tell, uh, whether or not he'll stay there. Uh, it's always tricky with uh, early commitments to, um, non-power programs, uh, Syracuse included in some respects, uh, uh, one of the kids that ended up talking that we uh, have heard about a little bit today, uh Seanti Willard, who was an Elite Eleven kid uh, back in twenty thirteen, uh or the twenty thirteen commit, I guess Elite Eleven was in twenty twelve. He was in the same class as Zach Allen and he was a USF commit for a long time and then he flipped pretty late uh, to U C L A pretty late in the process. So you know, when you when you're a program like that you obviously want to get those kind of kids uh on, in your class but there's only so much you can do i think to hold on to them so it really depends on what kind of outside uh what kind of outside pressures he gets and what kind of other you know if he blows up or if he really shuts his recruitment into the night so it'll be interesting to follow um it seems to me like syracuse will probably end up going in a different direction just because we'll probably want to lock up a quarterback or two uh earlier than the, uh, sooner than later
1: Fair, and I I guess we'll stay with the quarterback position. Uh, We'll we'll get back to Wallard because there's a whole other conversation there. Um, But some big, big news, it seems, uh, for a guy who kind of slipped under the radar, um, obviously well regarded, but still under the radar in terms of the national buzz, uh, Rick Culpepper uh, from down in Tampa, three-star guy, um, doesn't have an offer in hand from SU by um, everything I've seen, but apparently, and this was just revealed today on Syracuse.com. He's been, he's been having about two years' worth of conversations with Tim Lester um, to kind of come up to Syracuse, and he's finally going to visit this uh, this coming Tuesday, uh, which is, you know, very exciting and kind of, you know, leads us to, okay, like, is, is this the guy? And if he is, um, what happens to uh, some of our other targets, whether it's Joshua Jackson from Michigan, whether it's uh, Brodsky, or, or whether it's someone like David Moore, who is a well, well, well-regarded player? Um, you know, currently currently committed to SMU. Um, Danny do you think that if we get Culpepper, um, that we're necessarily going to kind of cool off on some of the other guys, or, or do you think Culpepper um, could be one of several that we try to bring in for 2016? It's hard to tell.
2: I think um, the fact that he might not that he doesn't have a an offer yet might be indicative of us not wanting to offer too many quarterbacks while we try to recruit some of the other ones, and maybe we've just moved on to him, and that's where all this mutual interest comes. So I'd be surprised if we didn't get an offer. I mean, if you look at his offer list, he's a three-star player, and we haven't heard too much about him, but he has uh, legitimate, like, four-star level offers. Just going down the list, um, Clemson uh, is, is big on him, Miami, uh, NC State, Ohio State, Mississippi State, Utah, Thought Tech, Virginia, West Virginia, and Florida have all reportedly offered. Now, you know, we can't always verify these, but generally when a kid has an that, that big, it's not uh, it's not made up. And he's also a, you know, an NFL legacy. So it's not like he's some kid who is coming out of nowhere. Like he's been you know, he's in the football world. Um he's from a really good program down in Tampa, playing uh, Plant High School. Um so this is a kid that if you can beat out those kind of schools or if they're if those are the kind of schools that offer him a quarterback I mean, he's a, a really good player. So uh, it sounds like things are going really well. Hopefully the offer comes in soon. Hopefully he gets up here. I know he just set his visit date um, and just lock him up because, uh, honestly, he is better offers than pretty much everyone else we're involved with, has to decide, which was always, you know, kind of a shot in the dark. Um, but it's good to see that we have, still have an impact in Florida, which I know we've had to rebuild, and losing uh, George McDonald. Last year.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I mean, I was never, I mean, no secret, I was never a huge McDonald's then. Um, and, and Grant, he's probably going to firebomb my house one day. Uh, I, I think that McDonald's strength down in Florida might have been a little overstated. Um, and I think we're seeing a, a, a huge kind of push to get a couple of those guys now. Um, Obviously, Culpepper could be one of them, even if it's not in South Florida. Um, what I find interesting about him is the fact that he doesn't have an offer in hand, according to reports, but still excited to come Tuesday. And according to the article he had with Scouts today, it seems that SU is number one, and he's going to make a pretty quick decision afterward, potentially picking SU. Um, so, I mean, for me, I'm not going to say that that the position is now locked up, um, for 2016, with Culpepper, I think you might want to bring in a couple guys because there are no guarantees. But having someone like Culpepper, who is well-regarded, um, does have some big offers. Um, for him to pick Syracuse um, over some of those names, I mean, no, it's not earth-shattering. We saw what happened with Robert Washington. Uh, we saw what happened with, uh, to a lesser extent, you know, Jake Card. Uh, but I- I'm excited to to have him kind of offer and get some momentum back. Um, it's not that we've lost momentum, but um, the perception, obviously, for a little while, you know, some things were rolling in. We've obviously offered higher caliber kids, uh, so I am looking forward to hearing uh, hear Cole Culpepper decide sooner rather than later, as long as Tuesday goes well. I think we should hear from him um, with an orange-tinted decision very soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, anything can happen, but it's certainly red like a, we're coming up to visit. We just want to make sure everything is good at the down- and it's, I mean, there's no reason for them to say a commitment to come soon if, there were, if that wasn't actually a possibility. So hopefully they come and, and the coaches can close the deal on campus. Um, and over the last couple seasons, in, over the last two, two staffs, um, the Syracuse coaches have done a really good job of closing one side of on the again. campus, it's getting them here, which is uh, the biggest obstacle. So hopefully that, that remains true once Cold Pepper comes up and we can just lock up the quarterback position. I'm always in favor of taking as many quarterbacks as you can, but that's not always possible because of what I said before—guys not wanting to go and join classes at two or three. So just get the one that you really want, and then worry about that, and don't you know do anything to lose to sacrifice that ability. But we do—it uh, would be nice to get someone that
1: well-regarded uh, on on campus in a couple of years. Yep. yep, and I guess closing out our quarterback conversation here. Um, and you kind of alluded to him earlier. Ashante um, Woolard, um, UCLA four-star dual-threat quarterback, class uh, 2013, announced this afternoon that he will be transferring from the Bruins program. Um, I just, and anytime there's like a big name announcing transfer, I kind of just do a quick search, uh, see who, who his offers were, just to get a read on uh, on where he might be headed. And again, that's now that's no indication of where he's going to go but at least you kind of get an initial conversation um, started about his potential destination. And lo and behold, uh, Willard did get a, an offer from Syracuse um, for the 2013 cycle. Uh, Dan, not that we uh, we really know anything from uh, from Willard right now uh, in terms of where he might go, but do you think Syracuse has a shot here? And um, I mean, we don't want to jeopardize incoming recruits, but... Uh, is this the type of person we might need? We still have two years of eligibility remaining after NCAA transfer rules kick in. Um, this is the kind of player we need to maybe at least kickstart um, some additional interest at the skill positions outside of you know Robert Washington.
2: I think it's a guy that you definitely go after if he's available. Um, it seems weird, like, and and we don't obviously don't know. It's up to the transfers because there's not as much news going around them because they're a little more guarded a lot of the time, but. Um, it seems like the Schaefer staff has been kind of reticent to go after transfers, especially after the Drew Allen debacle. Um, this kid was uh, one of the – I mean, he was probably a top five, top ten quarterback in his class. Uh, obviously, UCLA has been pretty stacked in the position. and have brought in a, a number of top players there, so I, it's understandable why he transfer. I'm always a little weary about saying he can get involved – um they did offer him there was some mutual interest there a couple years ago but it wasn't really anything that got too far off the ground um seems more likely that he ends up going to a school like South Florida where he originally committed somewhere back close to the home um but that doesn't you know going home doesn't seem to be the operative reason for his transfer so maybe there's a shot but it's tough to tell unless you know until you actually hear news come out but it it could be anything it's it's interesting that you know he's a Florida kid, um, but he was at UCLA, so maybe maybe the being homesick is a is a part of that. He wants to go to somewhere closer, or maybe it's all about um, playing time. And if that's the case, then it would definitely be uh, it would definitely be available after a year. So uh, I would hope that Syracuse would inquire at least, but I don't know. It seems like we don't always do that even when there is some kind of, uh, at least there was some mutual interest back during the original recruitment.
1: Right. Yeah, to be honest, I do think that uh, one of those Florida schools seems like the best bet. Um, a long shot might be uh, headed down to Florida A&M, which expressed interest uh, back when he was being recruited. We wanted to play right away. Um, I, I know I asked Bruin Nation, uh, SNN Nation's UCLA blog um, on Twitter earlier, you know, is he worth going after? Is he worth you know taking a look at? And they seem to think that he, he showed a lot of progress um, in spring practice, which you know could mean a lot, could mean a little, um, but the fact that he made strides um, and really wasn't being guaranteed a, a quarterback uh, starting quarterback job this year, I think, all contributed. Um, I don't necessarily think he's headed you know home to Florida um, as a guarantee, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you know, I, I think UCS uh, is getting involved in more and more of these uh, these big conversations. I mean, I think that program is now seen as one of the top, probably five, uh, you know, group of five programs. One that can get itself into a New Year's Bowl conversation pretty easily, uh, and that's it's disheartening for for a program like the Bulls that uh, that you know sniff the top of the mountain before tumbling very far down. Um, of sucks for them. But yeah, I think UCF is definitely in that conversation uh, for a lot of these guys uh, from Florida to transfer out. And I, I would put them in the lead right now uh, with USF kind of second. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put any stock into FIU. Uh, but I think Syracuse can work itself into this. Um, you know, if if he sees an opportunity to really, I don't see him being a one to embrace a program savior type moniker, but I do see him as someone willing to embrace um, a clear starting role. And, and that's where I think we can offer up an advantage that a lot of others uh, might not be able to give him. For
2: sure. And, you know, he would still be playing in the agency. He'd have a chance to play um, in his home state a couple times. So hopefully uh, hopefully we we'd give it a shot
1: at least. No, completely agree there. I, I think that's that's what I'm mostly concerned with is at least let's make a go of it and see if we can get a guy like that. But last kind of piece of news around football personnel, well, player-wise anyway, um, along with the sort of Smith news that was uh, put up today on the site, we also had uh, Devin Clark, um, who was committed to Oregon State until he wasn't um, this weekend, and now he is planning a trip to visit campus, at Syracuse University, obviously, um, along with Bowling Green and USF. Now we would hope that we were considered at least in higher regard than both of those programs, but maybe not. You know, it's another Florida kid, um, so you can assume uh, that somebody like Bobby Acosta is probably uh, involved, given he's taken over. Um, some of the Florida uh, recruiting duties um, since McDonald left. But, you know, I I think what Clark, while he's maybe not, like, the flashiest name or or the, you know, biggest star rating, if you want to put any stock into that, Uh, what he is 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 a solid safety, and I think what we need in the program, and that's why I think you and I and several others are really high on uh, Marquise Blair, for 2015, uh, provided that he qualifies, um, that we really need help in the secondary and and guys, you know, showing getting interest elsewhere and still coming to Syracuse on the secondary in particular is huge because it's been such a pain point in recent years. And, and I think Clark, um, while you never know what happens at the collegiate level, is someone who uh, who could really help create a sea change um, of talent at those positions.
2: Uh, some tip from Florida, Oregon State is pretty daunting. I don't know if it's quite yeah. as well. get as death to Syracuse where there are probably more Florida players. Um, you know, he's probably seeing guys who he knows or at least familiar with go up and and see it at SU. But like you said, he's a safety and we really need that. He's also a six foot three safety, very rangy, Um, kinda of fits the bill, uh like a Darrell Estridge, maybe not as physical, but um we know that we like kind of we like that size uh back on the defensive backfield with Guys like Eskers and Tian Lin in the past, so um, he seems like he'd be a good fit in the system with uh, in Schaefer's defense um, and Bola's defense, I guess. Now, but uh, so we we've lost some of these these battles to fools like Marshall before, so it's not always a, a given. But the fact that he's coming up to campus is a good sign. It always is. So if we get him up here and he enjoys himself, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if he ends up committing. I'm always a little concerned about these kids who flip around their commitments a lot. Um, it doesn't always seem to work out in our favor, although there are guys like Grizzly Esteem, who, if you guys remember, basically like tweeted at programs directly to like just like, offer him and he'd commit. And it was that program that offered him at the end. Um, get him committed and, and take your chance. I'd, I'd rather be in the, uh, in the pole position than not. So he seems like he's not an overwhelming prospect, but Definitely a solid player who would fit in here well, I
1: think. Right. And I mean, you know what? At the end of the day, these, like, whether they're overwhelming or not, um, can be a double edged sword because we've seen guys who weren't, quote unquote, overwhelming in the recruiting process that ended up being stars for SU. Um, one other guy who actually is even less highly regarded um, relative to Clark, but at the same time, could be just as important. Um, Another safety from Tampa, actually a friend of Rex Paul Peppers, uh, Scoop and Stephen Bailey reported late on Wednesday. Um, Looks like he will also be visiting uh, next Tuesday. He's a two-star guy, but he's got offers from a lot of upper tier MAC schools, um, some of the lower tier Big 10 schools in Utah. Uh, So definitely getting on people's radars and at the very least, and again, Defensive back is going to be a pain point. Um, it has been a pain point. So anything we can do to fix that would be perfect and you know, create some depth there since we are sorely, sorely lacking on it um, on the current roster and even the roster this fall. Um, so Brad shows another name to watch. He's another guy who could be a quick commit. Um, I'd love to see, I mean, again, you never know what happens with these kids. You don't want to see too many flips starts to create um, a perception of you know, what's going on in chaos, but at the same time, you know, getting six to nine names in the door at least um, by mid-summer, even if they're not, you know, again, signed on a dot. Um, it just – it does create uh, some sense of stability. I mean, some of the bigger programs have 15, 20 guys committed for 2016 already, and they might lose a quarter of those. But when you lose a quarter of 20 guys versus losing a quarter of, you know, six to eight guys, um, it's definitely a very, very different um, atmosphere. For sure.
2: And, and Bradshaw's not a guy with a, a huge list yet, but um, he does play for a good program, obviously the same one as Culpepper. And uh, there was a little tidbit in the Bailey article that if Culpepper commits, the family thinks that his brother go to the same school, uh, who's a tight end, um, already a pretty big kid. He's like 240 or something. I can't remember exactly how big he was, but something like that. Um so I always if you can get a like a two or a three for one. Um so I'm I'm not I'm not totally opposed to greasing the wheel a little bit if uh you had to do an offer out to Bradshaw or an early offer out to the brother, if that'll uh get everyone locked up.
1: Yep, and you know what? I think that was the design with with Washington too. I mean, obviously Washington's a big get on his own, but um, there were even bigger fish to loop in with him. Um, so I think we'll see there, and I think we'll see on Culpepper as well.
2: Um, yeah, that brings us to halftime. Right Washington's not a big yeah, deal. I, it's only a three star, from according to a couple sites. No big deal.
1: Yeah, you know what? Before we get to halftime, I think we need to talk about that. Uh, as some might have noticed today, um, I think a lot of us are a little irate about it on Twitter, um, Robert Washington was downgraded on, uh so 24-7, never had him as a, as a four-star, but it, was it Rivals that downgraded him to a three-star?
2: Yeah, that has him at four, Rivals had him at four, uh, ESPN, I believe, has him at four, and 24-7 always had him at three, but their composite rankings was well four, had him at four and still does. Um, I'm not sure if the rival downgrade has impacted that or not. good or not, so it's all stupid. He hasn't played. He hasn't played a game since last time he was rated. Nothing's changed. He hasn't gotten you know, unless something crazy that we don't know about's happening. He hasn't gotten slower or less strong. And you know, he only has the most offers that have of any running back in his class. So I'm not. I. It's not anything to worry about. There are, as much as people don't want to admit it, there do seem to be some politics. That play along with the rating. Um, he's never been a kid who's camped, done all the camps. He's been uh, kind of been recruited real, since he was in eighth grade. A, he was uh, originally committed to Mississippi State as a freshman, so the process is kind of old for him now. So he hasn't really played the game uh, as much as a lot of other recruits do, um, and that doesn't always do great things for your star rating. But the star rating is also a uh, imaginary thing applied to players, so. Um, not really anything to worry about, but, uh, I did enjoy complaining about it on Twitter because what else is Twitter for, not for complaining about star rating.
1: And yeah, I, I think it's just, it was so incredibly full it. and while the four and five star ratings, I think five in particular, if it got to five star, uh, I think proof has been shown that those players do work out a lot and that they are program changers. Um, you see the success both at the uh, college level and then at the pro level, um, but at the same time, you know where it starts to get stupid and just kind of turns into minutia is, is when you deal with these fringe three four or three, uh, fringe two three type guys. Um, and again, like seeing a guy like Washington, who God forbid he commits to a program outside of. Um, you know, the, the typical power brokers of college football, you know, suddenly he goes from a four to a three despite not taking a snap um, in the meantime. It's just, it's <laughs> silly. Um, it's it's better not to pay attention to it, but um, for people that cover it, uh, you kind of can't help but but see, you know, kind of the politics and the, and the nonsense that goes on. So it, it's disappointing, but at the same time, if Washington shows up, um, Kills it. Where's 44? The whole deal. Um, I, I doubt anyone's gonna mind what his star rating was. Yeah,
2: and the ratings are There, there is some validity to them. I think on a macro level, we've had this. Time, I think we've discussed this before. Like, if you have a program and you're bringing in uh, 15 kids every year that are considered to be four-star players, I think there's a better chance of you landing a double kid to end up being whatever the. Proverbial four-star player is than if you're just bringing in a bunch of twos and threes. But on a single player level, I mean, it, it it's kind of uh, slicing hairs a little bit. Um, so nothing too too uh, nothing that too worked up about it. I don't think for this one guy, especially one who has gotten the attention and offers from like every major program, and also Kentucky now. You got a Kentucky offer last week, so that was fun.
1: Good for you guys, Wildcats. You're really on top of your recruiting. <laughs> All right. So on that note, now that we've uh trolled some people, um yeah, a little have time. So uh Dan, what have you been drinking?
2: Uh just give me one second to hit this open. Um
1: every week we play the Go game of it. having untapped. <laughs> um so my key check mark then. Dan and I will be drinking together next week, so I we'll actually have some things in common, uh, beverage-wise, probably, or at least beverage location.
2: For sure, we'll we'll get to uh, compare notes a bit. My app is being
1: used <laughs> <below>. live.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to, off the top of my head. I can't remember. I did have two roads um, there. Uh, Road Jam, which is a raspberry sour, uh, which is very good. Um, it's obviously you know it's not like a, a raspberry wheat or one of those you know that you probably had from UFO or or even like a Blue Moon kind. It's it's um it's very much a sour with solid fruit flavor, but uh you know really nice drinkable, but um, not like overly sweet or or uh, you know it doesn't taste like a soda. So that was good. Um, I think of a couple of the other ones that i had uh, recently. Um, that is, I'm really struggling without this app.
1: <laughs> no, it's really fun. Uh, I, I I pulled up your. <laughs> Seems like you had some stuff from Brooklyn Brew lately. Both of them. I think you had a Shack Phoenix and the Shack Meister. Both of them seem like. Oh yeah, we were
2: uh, hanging out in. Madison Square Park, where the Shake Shack is, they have their own—they um, have their own beers brewed by Brooklyn, which is pretty cool. The—the um, the regular, I think the Shackmeister Ale is like their general one. Uh, it's you know a solid. Yeah, you know, they're both pretty solid beers. The summer I wasn't quite as high on, but um, you know, for a for a burger chain, it's uh, not a bad, not a bad effort. Although it is brewed by Brooklyn, which does have some really exceptional ones.
1: Too true. Um, before we move on to mine, I know uh, my brother doesn't live too far from uh, two roads now, so we will uh, we'll be checking that out while I'm in town next week. Yeah,
2: it's it's a it's a very good one. So I'm um, I'm hoping to to hear hear what you have to say about those guys.
1: Of course. All right. As is typical when we take a week off, as we did last week, um, I've a long list of shit to discuss. Uh, <laughs> So, some good ones that I've had lately. We had Mount Remarkable uh, from Modern Times. I've discussed Modern Times numerous, numerous occasions here on the the, uh, podcast. Uh, It's a really good kind of session, uh, Pale Lager. Uh, Again, Modern Times makes some great stuff. highly recommend that. Um, Had a uh, Malfactor, uh, kind of a Flanders Red from uh, Upland. Um, Got to grab that on the way out of Indiana when I was at the Final Four. I was really, really glad. Sat on that one for a little bit. Um, Made a a Rangers win that night, and this was over a week ago now. Um, More enjoyable, though, as uh, I won't talk about. Rangers did not do too well when it comes to the entire series. Uh, No comment, again. Some other things that I got to enjoy. I stopped down at the brewery, uh, one of my favorites as most bullets have, too. Uh, got to enjoy, uh, so happens, it's Tuesday. Uh, it's a really nice uh, bourbon barrel-aged uh, beer from them. Had some different variations. Never got to try the original for some reason, as was the uh, cuvee, the uh, bourbon barrel-aged anniversary beer that uh, that they put out. Um, so while I didn't want to spend 25-ish on a bottle, I was willing to... Spend me like $3 or so for a taster, and it was well, well worth it. Um, got to check out the uh, Points Unknown IPA from Stone. Uh, it's a collaboration beer that they put out recently. Uh, it was kind of intended to be a Belgian at first. Ended up kind of turning into a really nice Belgian IPA. Uh, that was a really, really enjoyable one um, in my book. And beyond that, also got to stop at uh, Smog City. They had a bunch of different things on tap, which was great, um, including the kumquat saison, which I, uh, I enjoyed so much on dress that I uh, grabbed a bottle of. So I'm looking forward to do that bottle. But mm-hmm. the right, just right amount of kumquat in there, uh, but still kind of keeps all the characteristics of a typical saison. Uh, definitely recommended it for those out here in L.A., along with cuddle bug. They're, uh, they're very mild, sour, uh, kind of peaches and apricots, I believe. Um, Another really good option. And then I'm currently enjoying uh, the I Love It IPA from Noble Ale Works. Uh, Had it on tap a while back. Um, Noble got really, really rave reviews uh, on it, so they decided to bottle it. Uh, Luckily, my local Whole Foods Foods had it um, today, so got to enjoy that. That's everything with beer. Again, sorry for the uh, lack of brevity. Okay, we know that's why everyone's here. <laughs> that's exact. To be honest, we have actually gotten some feedback on Twitter. That's why half of you were here, or or at least a quarter of you. Um, so yeah, moving on. I think we uh, we had plenty to say about recruiting in the first half here. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, Dan. I don't know if you were a big part of this conversation on Slack. Uh, Athlon kind of talked about their. Uh, Strains of schedule uh, rankings for the ACC, and one of the the main points that I took away from it was that it's impossible to beat NC State in Raleigh uh, based on based on what they had to say, and and I was confused by that a little bit, especially because we beat them in in Raleigh a couple of years ago, and and I went back and looked for the last three seasons, and the Wolfpack are 12 and 9 um, <laughs> at home <laughs> since since 2012. And I was just kind of confused as to how, how, how that trip is impossible for Syracuse or anyone else. Um, when a team is barely over 500 on their home field, I was kind of curious what you felt there. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to boil this
2: down to, um, when discussing the ACC, when you don't actually follow the ACC, everything boils down to just talking about the Knolls, and. Um, the Knolls famously lost in Raleigh at a night game uh, a couple of years ago. And there was that dude that was swinging his shirt and sending it to the pole. And it was real funny. And then Tom O'Brien. To greatest Friday, celebration you know. ever. It was fantastic. Um, and then the Knolls went to Raleigh last year and almost lost, um, but didn't because they were the 2014 Florida state Seminoles and they didn't lose until they did. Um, so yeah, basically I feel like people probably thought of those two games are like, wow, this team can upset you, or they'll at least come pretty close. It's really hard to win there when really they're pretty mediocre.
1: Yeah, I again, and I know I understand that. And I like some of the guys over at Athlon. I understand that there's a tough, there's a tough job to evaluate all 128 teams and really get to know them, um, you know, kind of deep down. But at the same time, sweeping generalizations like NC State is, is tough at home. At one point, maybe that was true in the last three years. It has not been true. Um, last June in particular, uh, the team had a losing record at home. Um, but they also said that Syracuse had a, a middle-of-the-road kind of tough schedule in general um, and kind of regarded trips to, to Charlottesville and Tampa as, as difficult for us. I, I know not a lot of people are buying into Syracuse this year, and I'm not really willing to buy in myself um, past six wins as an absolute max. But... Uh, Dan, if you, if you had to isolate the tough games, uh, where would that list kind of start then? Because I don't think uh, it's really as lengthy of a list as a lot of people are, uh, are suggesting right now. For Syracuse? Are we talking yep, about the Syracuse, Syracuse schedule? Yep, just um, for the Syracuse schedule.
2: Obviously, uh, Florida State. Um, there will be a different look team. But we're going to assume Everett Golson wins that job. And while Everett Golson isn't always great, he wasn't in Syracuse. So I don't expect uh, SU to win that one down in Tallahassee. Um, obviously, LSU uh, at the Dome. LSU, not a great offense last year, but they bring back Leonard Fournette, they bring back Travin Dural. Um, I assume a little bit more, uh, are more effective quarterback play because they bring back both the guys who played their last year who have gotten a year older, and and Brandon Harris' family is making a lot of noise about, you know, thinking he should have played more last year, and I'm sure Anthony Jennings uh, doesn't want to give up his position. So I assume LSU is going to be a tough one there, LSU. Um, and then Clemson, who – I don't think it's crazy to think they might win the ACC next year. Uh, They probably don't have a top-to-bottom roster quite as good as Florida State, but if Deshaun Watson stays healthy, um, I think there's a very good chance he is in the Heisman conversation. Um, So, yeah, those are all three, I think, bona fide, really hard games. Uh, I can't imagine situations where they're not. Um, And then you have the normal – Group of Louisville, who will probably, who might be a little bit down next year, but um, should still be pretty tough. And Pitt, who we can't seem to get, you know, an edge on. Uh, and BC, who you know plays up to their potential most of the time. Um, and, and obviously, ran us last year. And NC State, who's you know decent if not unbeatable at home, um, where we play the next year. So it's not a. I think it's a pretty. When you have three games like LSU, Clemson, and Florida State, I think that outside of the SEC, um, that's pretty much as much as you can ask for from a from a program.
1: Right. And honestly, like, that's what I didn't understand in, in their evaluations. It seemed that every game was tough for us. It seemed like we were the bottom of the barrel. It seemed like we, we'd already dropped down to the Greg Robinson-level depths. And I just couldn't understand it, especially when look at the schedule. I think a lot of us were sitting here thinking this is one of the easiest schedules we've had in a while. Um, I mean, yes, yeah, some of the the lesser teams are, are on the road. I think the USF and Virginia, I think those two games in a row, something could trip us up, admittedly, but I wouldn't call those games tough by any means. Uh, if we learned anything about either of those programs lately, it's that... Uh, They don't know what the hell's going on even more than we don't. Um, We've been to bowls more recently than both of them. Uh, And, I mean, Pitt's at home, and, you you know, you never know what to expect with Pitt. BC's at home under Adazio. BC's not exactly, like, a predictable entity. Uh, CMU's probably going to take a step back, and we beat them pretty handily last year. I mean, this – I'm not – again, I'm not saying Syracuse is – winning the ACC by any means, but to consider this a tough schedule, I think this is kind of a gift in many ways. We weren't beating Florida State no matter where we face them, so. so the fact that we're in Tallahassee doesn't really bother me much. Um, LSU, same deal. Uh, sucks to lose a home game, but what are you going to do? We weren't going to beat them on the road either. Um, Louisville, I don't think it's a drop in the bucket that everybody else does, but I do think we'd lose that game. And then Clemson, same deal. Like whether it was the Carrier Dome or Death Valley, I don't think we're winning that game this year. And the fact that we played as close to the best as we did last year, I think, was was impressive enough. Um, And we'll have plenty of time to to really thoroughly preview Syracuse and go down the full schedule later in the summer. But um, I don't know. To me, I, I, I keep seeing a lot of articles just writing us off. And I guess I'm almost getting excited about that fact that there were zero expectations this year. And that could provide us with with a, a hell of a lot of opportunity. Yeah, it is interesting because, um,
2: like, two years ago, when it came to like the twin flip games between with like NC State and Maryland and Pitt and uh, those type of teams, uh, I guess Virginia would probably be sitting there this year. Um, Syracuse did pretty well to win a bunch of them. Um, and it wasn't always pretty, but they, they seemed to know how to get the most out of them. And then against the, the really hard teams, they just got walloped. And last year, um, obviously things didn't go well. They went to Syracuse on 3-9, but they hung in with the, with the really good teams pretty decently. They Clemson, if, if Syracuse had a quarterback who wasn't making his, uh, I believe that was A.J. Long's first actual start, um, and say that we had a veteran quarterback, uh, in there and not a revolving door of injuries on the offensive line, that's really a game Syracuse could have won. Um, and at Florida State, a pretty promising performance. Um, Louisville was a disaster, but it wasn't like a, we, we didn't get, like, totally run out of the building. It was just, you know, a series of calamities. But Syracuse actually, I think, performed better last year against the harder opponents, but couldn't have been over the hump in the one in the flip games and, and ran into of game because of injuries. So I think there's a pretty there's there's maybe an optimistic read of the last two years where if we can keep injuries manageable like they were in 2013 and play the uh, the daunting games tougher like we did in 2014, maybe there's uh, a light at the end of the tunnel here where we can kind of not have a disastrous injury season last year and and maybe surprise some guys again. Um, yeah, it's I think. It does set up well where LSU is really the only early game that you can probably cross off. Um, you have Otherwise, you have URI, Wake, Central Michigan, and USF, which should all be wins by all accounts. Virginia, I hope we can at least say there's a better than 50 than chance we win that game considering Virginia's been pretty bad for half a decade now and just lost a quarterback uh, to Georgia, which is a really weird story that doesn't make much sense to me. Um, and then you get into the pit, Florida State, at Louisville, but the, you know, there should be a decent chance of Syracuse, even if they're not a great team opening up 5-1, and one, and then you just gotta, I mean, we've been here before, but then you just gotta get one at the end, and it's not like Syracuse hasn't beaten some of these teams before. We've beaten Louisville pit all recently. Um, so yeah, it's not, it, it's hard to tell because this team is so hard to read because so many pieces were gone last year, and and last year was such a disaster in many respects, but um, if they stay healthy and some of the players that we felt would break out last year end up doing so this season, uh, you know, there's an optimistic read to the schedule um, and, and the beginning of it definitely does help uh, because you always want to
1: get a jump on that full eligibility. No, absolutely. And I think it's weird that to me, no matter who it is, it seems like everyone's kind of failing to read between the lines. That again, no, this is not going to be a nine-win team. But let's discuss the fact that this team played some some pretty good opponents, pretty close. Um, and it's just odd to me that a lot of commentators and a lot of observers are willing to read between the lines on other teams, and they're not willing to for a few. And I don't know if that's a that's a result of a dislike towards Schaefer because of one comment about snow in Atlanta, um, or whether it's the dislike for the fan base based on what I'm not sure, um, or whether it's based on NCAA violations that when it comes to college football, no one really care about because all it did was just remove terrifying losses that I wanted scrubbed out of my memory anyway. Um, it just seems that we've reached this point where, where LSU where – sorry – Syracuse cannot win no matter what it does. Uh, there's just this this cloud hanging over the, the Orange program, um, in terms of, of college football commentators and bloggers, et cetera. Um, I, I just don't see the schedule as insurmountable. Um, and I think it's actually going to be entertaining I mean, if we don't start 5 and 1 we don't start 5-1, I mean, I think it's feasible. Uh, if we don't, if we start 4-2 instead, there's still wins out there. I mean, I, I threw this out there a couple months ago, and I know you, me, and Sean in particular all talked about it. as he's going to lose four games, win four games just about every year. And what what defines the season is, is that middle, um, you know, meet in the schedule there. Um, and that's NC State, that's BC, that's Pitt. Um and usually Louisville. Um, maybe Louisville starts towing into that sure loss category, and then our cap seven and five. But uh, for right now, I think I think the season. You look at last year. You know, if you lose all those swing games, you finish three nine, it's god awful. But two years ago, you win the majority of the swing games. Good things happen. Suddenly, you're you're a bowl team. And I think if we want to view this realistically, I think we have to start building on on that concept first before we can start pulling upsets in the ATC versus what we did in the B East. Yeah, it's a really
2: good way to break it down, Um, and it it generally shapes out that way. Maybe in some other years, Louisville isn't quite as good, and and there isn't uh, an LSU-type game on the schedule. But... For what the conference is now, Clemson and FSU are always going to be there. Louisville seems to be moving along at a a pretty decent level. They're always going to be there. But there are always um, programs that are are at least comparable. And we've been hanging around with Pitt for years now, and they've had a chance to pull away from us a number of times and just haven't done it. So I'm pretty sure Pitt's always going to be uh, doing Pitt things. Uh, unless Narduzzi is, is a, a miracle worker, and I, I do think he'll be a pretty good coach, but <clears throat> it is it is it is funny because um, you know it's not like people two years ago were predicting Syracuse to go to a bowl game in Schaefer's first year. They were largely predicting Syracuse to probably be a four or five win. And even after he did that, it's not like a lot of people were predicting Syracuse to go to a bowl game last year. Obviously, the fans were. We were all pretty excited heading the last year but it's not like the national media was expecting Syracuse to uh, break out and be a six or 17 win team every year. I think the most optimistic um, views were like six wins, but there's a good chance that it's five or four. And that ended up being uh, closer to the truth, but probably not not because of just the raw talent on the team because of some bad coaching at times, bad injuries, a lot. So I, I have trouble. I have trouble – buying into the viewpoint of most of the people outside of uh the fan base and the people that cover the program on a day-to-day basis when it comes to judging Syracuse because generally they have their preconceived notions just like they do about uh seven and five every year no matter what NC State and others that we weigh in on um and they don't do much to adjust their opinions and it's happened to have worked out pretty well for them through the G-Rob era and um through at least most of the marone Schaefer era because if you miss on one bowl season, uh, you can just double down and say they won't go the next year, and that's held true pretty well. But, you know, hopefully eventually we start to turn the, stem the tide here and go and to multiple bowls and, and link, you know, decent seasons together. And it's not to say Syracuse is even five years away from thinking about competing for the ACC, but nothing would really shock me this year. Um, and I think last year's a hard thing to totally judge the upcoming season on just because so many weird things that you can't always account for did happen. Like teams don't like no one, no one said Maryland. And I know we, we, there was that article that was on the site this week. No one said Maryland was like a dead program when they had to play their fourth string quarterback. Um, People said, Oh, they're playing a linebacker quarterback. That's terrible. But Syracuse went through pretty much the same thing this year. And it's an indictment of the program as a whole, which I don't think is totally fair.
1: Agreed. Um, yeah, I know we're kind of winding down here, but is Dan, what is the uh, what is the hot button issue that you think uh, Syracuse fans should be concerned with this summer? Is, is it the AD search? Is, is it decisions on the Carrier Dome? Is it you know f- physically seeing orange uniforms? Is it resolving the 44 controversy? W- what is your big kind of issue that SU fans should probably be paying the most attention to this summer? I
2: think it, it's the obvious one is the AD search, which is also the one that we have the least information on, because it's, because it's not like a coach where you kind of, you could we, we did, I think, a pretty good job of penciling some candidates, but you have no idea if they're actually going to be the ones that are uh, discussed or talked to. Where coaches, like there are way more things that leak out into the media. You can kind of uh, devise who has connections to whom, and, you know, people sniffed out. Obviously, Schaefer was, was an easy one, but people sniffed out Marone. It didn't take that long for him to emerge as a candidate when he was, uh, when he was hired. So I think the AD is really the, the ground-level thing that needs to be settled, and then hopefully you can get people on message when it comes to things like 44, and you can make – I mean – the, the dome. I mean, we all kind of know it's going to be renovated. It's not. We can all kind of accept it's not going to be a new stadium. I know they haven't like totally announced that, but if you read the writing on the wall, it, that seems to be the most obvious, the, the most logical thing. But once you get an AD and you can make these announcements, you can settle down um, or settle these, the the 44 issue once he's up to up to date on that whole tradition. Um, you get the people in, in place. Uh, there's a little more clarity on uh, Schaefer's future, on the future of some of the other coaching spots. Although, I mean, I know we had softball open up today, but most of the big ones are all pretty much settled. Although, I mean, Bayheim's a whole other thing. But I think you just need to get a good AD in there. Um, someone who understands uh, what is special about the Syracuse athletic department and what, draws people to it and how it connects to the, the uh, community, the Syracuse community, as well as the greater alumni and, and out, outer fan community. And I just think that hopefully we get someone who's competent and who has a good idea about how to uh, make this a, a really great athletic department again. And then we can start, you know, hammering down the smaller things um, like, you know, a, a final solution for the dome, or and, and 44. I don't, want, I don't want to call it a smaller thing, but I think you need leadership to really nail down exactly how you want to utilize that. And without a, an athletic uh, athletic director in place, I think that's a, a real big issue for uh, the the whole image of how the school has operated over the last, you know, last couple months, but even you know going farther back, because we know that
1: reputation
2: and and clarity weren't the hallmarks of the doctor of the uh, the doctor 3D
1: too true and on that note I think we're good I know I've had plenty to say about um, the AD search and everything else I've thrown myself out of the joke candidate several times I'm not exactly sure of the joke anymore <laughs> based on <laughs> based on kind of the things we need and the things that we've seen numerous times over, but you know, these, these are, these are weird times for Syracuse fans. These are scary for some Syracuse fans, but you know, I, I'm willing to embrace kind of some of the madness here. I think that, that it presents a huge opportunity for us to really remake what we are as fans, as alums, as, uh, just the university, uh, community overall. Um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, kind of what's next. Obviously, if things don't go well, because um, the ad search and everything else, then then that looking forward to it uh, vibe turns into something much uh, much less positive. But until then, um, I think I'm going to choose to be an optimist, uh, contrary to what probably most people who read me would uh, would think. Yeah, and there's a no real reason not
2: to, because even as uh, was an ad we're not going to see the immediate results on the field. Um, and it took us a while to really shake out the positives and negatives. And there were both um, as much as, you know, we've been pretty harsh on Dr. Gross. It, it's pretty natural to be harsh when someone's being fired or what have you, but you know, he did do some good things, but I, I think um, it takes a little while to really see how things are working and how the mechanisms are, are functioning. So hopefully we get someone in place soonish, uh, and then I think it'll be a lot of fun to kind of break down what they've done in the past, and we'll really get to uh, take a deep dive into a really important position that we haven't been able to do. Um, I'm not sure if Sean lost the blog before uh, Dr. Gross was in place. I don't think he had. Um, no, this but, is a,
1: this is the first AD change during the Magician era.
2: Yeah, I think it's probably pretty close, but. Um, no, it'll be fun. We'll just, hopefully it's someone that we get to learn a, a decent amount about, and hopefully it's someone that can inspire confidence
1: because we definitely do need that. Could not agree more. Um, and on that note, I think we're good. Um, Dan, as always, thanks for joining us here. Uh, obviously, looking forward to grabbing a couple of drinks.
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's gonna be fun. We'll we'll be able to report back uh, next time we do this and. Hopefully uh, we won't have uh, decided to drive up to Syracuse and burn down Manly.
1: Uh, <laughs> <the next laughs> yeah, uh, you'll have, uh, next week you'll have Troy an and Absolute East Coast Only podcast as I'll uh, as on Eastern Time. So we'll actually be uh, in the same time zone for the first time in quite a while. Uh, this is just kind of how we do things around here. It'll be nice to not have to deal with uh, different time zones and late nights and everything else. But on that, uh, you've been listening to Troy Noon. It's an absolute podcast. Uh, I'm John. That was Dan. Please be sure to rate, review, uh, star, whatever there is in place for uh, iTunes for Blog Talk. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, talk to you next week.
0: to be devoted.